well, keep your bus above 50 and hold on to that boom boom stick. It's Film Shake, episode 49, and today we're talking speed from 1994. I'm Jordan. And this is Nick. And welcome back to the 90s Movies Podcast. Nick, how many more episodes till we get our pension plan and a cheap gold watch? Man, I think we're going to have to put in at least another 22 years. <laughs> 22 years of 90s movies. I'm down. I think we're at Casio watch level right now. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, today we have a special guest with us, Jackson Boren, who's been a longtime listener of the show, supporter of the show, Twitter friend. And Jackson, welcome. Thanks, man, for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm, like you said, a, a big fan of the show. Excited to finally be getting to chat it up with you guys. I discovered Film Shake last year, and one of the things I quickly discovered is is that your personal tastes and sensibilities really align with my own, and not just because the 90s are my favorite decade for film, uh, but also because when you... When you discuss movies, whether they're good or bad, you seem to really find what was fun or entertaining about all types of movies. As someone who has love for some movies that are considered bad as well as good movies, uh, I can appreciate that. I don't think we'll have any trouble today finding what's fun or entertaining about our main topic here. Oh yeah, this is definitely not one of those bad movies. This is a good, good movie. This is our action movie episode. I have to ask at the top, can we call you... Action Jackson. Sure. I have a few friends that do call me Action Jackson, just ah. as a goof over the years. I don't consider myself an action film aficionado per se, but right. Speed is one of those movies that I definitely have a huge affinity for. And the reason why I brought this up as one that I would have a lot to talk to you guys about. For sure. Yeah. Like Nick said on our last episode, I think we're all just going to be gushing about this film today. So, uh, Nick, I was going to say, our Fallen Warrior last time, I actually beat you at the trivia battle. Can you believe it? Fair and square. I mean, other than the fact that you, all your questions were quotes from movies I had never seen, you really did beat me. I didn't let <laughs> you win. That's still fair. So. That's still fair. That's right. You didn't just let me win like you have done before. Right. right. Insulting my intelligence. <laughs> That's not what happened. Yep. So yeah, today we're going to have the Fallen Warrior at the end of the episode because Nick, and I'm guessing Jackson too, is going to come back and talk about Speed 2 oh, after yeah. our main review of Speed. Speed 1? <laughs> I wrote Speed 1 in my notes at because I watched Speed 2 in between and took notes on it first and it felt so wrong, Jordan. It felt so wrong to put a 1 next to it. I it wish that I wasn't even in that position, but I don't... I, I, I'll save all Speed 2 talk for Speed 2, man. We are going to save yeah. that for the end. We got to talk Speed 1 first. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, Speed 2 later in the show, and as always, followed by our normal trivia battle. So, yes, let's get into 1994's Speed. impossible to not hear that Mark Mancina theme music when you just did that. 
dun dun dun. Yes, <laughs> it's so good. I know we're gonna have it in there. I was listening to it earlier on on Spotify. It's like I gotta get pumped. It's such a good score. It's oh, amazing, man. incredible. Well, hey, guest honor, Jackson. How did you come upon Speed for the first time? I think you're a little geographically closer to this situation than we are. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I was probably about 11 when Speed was originally released in '94. I did not see this movie in the theater. Uh, I wanted so badly to, as I mentioned to Jordan, but my parents didn't let me see it, so I had to wait a year until it came out uh, on HBO. There was so much that was kind of building up to that, not just me wanting to see it, but there was a thing called HBO Guide, which was like a magazine that would promote when they'd have new movies coming out and premiering on the channel, and it was like a big issue about speed, and then I watched the hbo first look do you guys remember that the the making of shows where they would like oh yeah they would give you like a featurette about a movie that was going to be premiering so then when it finally rolled around i was ready for it i was like it was you know appointment television for me and then i was just blown away and i was not disappointed at all blown away exactly exactly no pun intended (laughs) yeah and uh i i tweeted the other day blockbuster video had these calendars where they would showcase the poster art for films that were released on video that year. And so I had the 95 calendar, and Speed was the movie for January. So needless to say, I kept it on January for a few extra months because I just wanted that poster art up in my room. I was such like a Speed fan. So I left that up a few months longer uh, instead of having the Flintstones or City Slickers 2. No offense to either of those movies, which I also love. Nice. Well, Nick, what about you? What was your personal experience with Speed when it came out? So I didn't see it in the theaters either. I was 13 that year. I saw the trailers and I thought it looked pretty good, but I don't think... What was the first rated R movie I saw in the theater? It wasn't that. It was a few years after that. So yeah, I didn't see it in the theater, but that fall when it came out on video, I was at my cousin Adrian's house and I remember we were watching The Late Show with David Letterman, which he had been on for a year at that point, and I just loved David Letterman back then. I thought he was the funniest person I could ever have conceived of. And we were watching it, and then his dad got home with the VHS of Speed, and he was with another one of my uncles, and they were like, we heard this was the one. We got to watch this right now. <laughs> so we watched Speed. <laughs> we put it on at like 11 p.m., man. And those uncles are both really talky like during movies, but in a good way, if that makes any sense. Not where they're like talking over dialogue. They just react very animatedly to stuff. And it was such a good time. And this is, might sound kind of weird, but my mom at that period in time looked exactly like Sandra Bullock. And my mom's name is Annie. So that was, really, Oh snap. That was so trippy. That was really strange. <laughs> and her personality is pretty similar to Sandra Bullock's in this movie. So that was kind of cool. And man, yeah. I, I had a Columbia house membership and Jackson and I have talked about this before on Twitter. Whenever they came out with those widescreen THX versions of 20th century Fox films, I was all over this man. I paid my 29.95 or however much it was to Columbia house. And I watched speed so many times. And my favorite were maybe the first two or three viewings. I would get so pumped watching the film. I would forget that the climax in the subway even happened. And then you would get to that and be like, Oh, there's more. So I love this movie, man. <laughs> There's a whole nother movie here. Right. right. <laughs> How about you, dude? My experience, man. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure this was the maybe the first rated R movie I saw because this came out when I was like eight. I also didn't see it in theater. I remember taking a trip, a family trip to the Atkinson's house 
to like another town. I'm not sure where they live, but it's like me and my brother and all like these older guy friends that he had. And I remember us getting into the living room and the older kids plugging in speed and my mom kind of being in the background being like, isn't that a rated R movie? And, you know, it's just early 90s like ah but it's an action movie whatever (laughs) so we watch it and my mind was completely blown and i've just been a huge fan of it since then so i can still just see myself like sitting on the carpet watching those opening titles with the elevator you know miniature camera panning down and down and down so yeah it's uh it was definitely a seminal experience for me yeah i might add for me, like I think Speed is my favorite action film. I mean, I, I like a lot of stuff from the, the 90s and the 80s, but it's my favorite Keanu Reeves film for sure. And when I tell people that it's in my probably like my top 10 favorite movies of all time, they're always surprised at first, but then they follow it up by like, yeah, it's really good. You could probably make a case for that. We should address the dismissal that it got kind of early on as a diehard knockoff because it certainly owes some of its DNA to the John McTiernan classic, which Jan DeBont actually shot as well. Right. Yeah. Um, he's the DP on Die Hard. But, but in my, my opinion, and this might be a hot take for some people, I think it improves on the formula and I'll go into a little bit more as we discussed, I think in the, you know, in the pantheon of the diehard knockoffs that came up, came up in the early nineties, I think speed is at the top. And then I I follow that closely in my opinion by Cliffhanger and Sudden Death and yeah I just I think Speed is like a perfect action movie. Man, I cannot disagree with you. I rewatching it this time, especially I rewatched it probably not too long ago, a couple of years back, and watching it again. Oh man, it's it's just such a perfect action movie. So I could definitely see you putting it in your top ten and. You know, I can understand those reactions of people being like, wait, what? And then they think about it for a minute. Oh, yeah, actually, that works. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's not just a great action movie. It's just a great movie. I was about to just cut everyone off as soon as you mentioned the opening titles, man, because I really feel (laughs) like when those those titles come up and you're going up the elevator shaft with that 90s font and that Mark Mancino music starts pumping, if that's not for you, I feel like not only is the movie not for you, the 90s in general are just not for you. <laughs> like, just turn it off and ignore the rest of the decade. Right. Turn off the movie. Turn off this podcast. <laughs> like, yeah. we are not your show. Yeah, just walk away. <laughs> ah, yes, to quote the movie. <laughs> just walk away. <laughs> just walk away. <laughs> so for me, that classic 20th Century Fox fanfare, where it's just a sort of like the matte painting, I was like, yes, like, you knew what you were getting getting into. And then those opening credits, like Nick is saying, It's just like, it's back when opening credits sequences could function as part of the narrative. And you're like plunging down this elevator shaft over three minutes. And one of the things that was really cool I I learned in um, my research was DeBont says that the music over the credits is actually like a prologue to the entire score. And so every single theme over the film is like represented in that three minutes. And it's just, yeah, it's awesome. I love that. I love that when an opening title sequence can do that. And yeah, just fits like basically like a foreshadowing of the rest of the movie in a way. Love it. Yeah. So uh, just to talk about Jan de Bont a little bit, like you mentioned, he was mainly a cinematographer for a long time, did 
Die Hard, um, Hunt for Red October, just looking at his filmography, it's just insane how many movies he shot. And then kind of got his break here with Speed. They had offered it to John McTiernan, he turned it down. They offered it to Tarantino and a couple other people, and then decided to kind of go and give this guy a shot. For me, there are two Jan Devant directed movies and then he he left and he was gone forever and it's this and twister um right i mean i think he's a great cinematographer and this movie is so flawlessly done twister is a lot of fun i really enjoy that movie but i mean it's not speed it's kind of like right. just coming out of the gate and hitting the ball so hard that you have no strength left because he was never going to top this yeah yeah devont like i've kind of always had that same feeling in my mind looking at his filmography because I love Speed. Twister is another favorite of mine as well. And then he did Speed 2 and it kind of feels like Speed 2 derailed him in a way um, because you had then The Haunting in 99 and then he did the Laura Croft's Tomb Raider sequel and then he hasn't directed really since. And it just felt like so much sort of potential that ended up getting not being reached by him. There were some interesting things I read about him that you know, even before Speed, he was wanting to become an action director. He had that itch for a few years, and he even attempted to take on Drop Zone um, hmm. with Wesley Snipes. But the studio didn't quite want him because they—I don't even think they had Snipes attached yet—and they felt like to get A-list talent, they needed an A-list director. And so Debont kind of passed on that, and then landed on Speed. And I think a, a few people had even recommended him to the studio at that point and he decided to take on speed one thing that was really really funny i don't know if you guys saw this but we almost got in 96 uh yon debont directed godzilla oh no i didn't see that yeah it would have been in 96 but then he left the project after speed when like columbia and tristar didn't approve his budget and then basically roland emmerich picked up the script and took it man there's just so much potential there like you said with yon debont where I mean, I love uh, a lot of the movies that he shot, and I think you're right, Nick, about Speed just being, you know, knocking it out of the park right out of the gate. But it just makes me think, like, what if this guy made five other, ten other movies around this level? You know, just how much more awesome the 90s would have been. <laughs> I don't know if the 90s could be any more awesome, but if Jan Devant made, like, six other Speed-level movies, then... I think our minds would just be incinerated. Yeah, he could have been on that level of, you know, McTiernan or Cameron. Right. Or if, if he had maintained that quality, I don't, yeah. Right, yeah, just the, the what if there. Because this movie is a star maker in so many ways. Keanu had already done a lot of stuff, but this definitely was his first action movie that just boosted him to the top. And then definitely a star maker for Sandra Bullock. So just thinking... You know, what if Jan de Bont had ridden out the same subway train, you know, and gotten on that same subway train to just huge success. But alas, we have Speed 2 and The Haunting. The weird thing, too, is that those movies made money. Like, The Haunting, I think, did okay. Don't quote me on that. But, Jackson, what did you say he did after that? He did the Laura Croft Tomb Raider sequel, and that one also, I don't think it was like a bomb. So he wasn't in director's jail or anything like that. He just hasn't done anything since. I saw some 2020, some sort of animated movie he did, just like not a few years back, but it had like a 2 out of 10 on IMDb. And it was he was like a co-director or something, but 
it just yeah it just sounded really bad and made me really sad it's like okay let's just turn on speed again (laughs) did you guys dig into the casting of speed much in your research one of my first notes here is just about how Jan DeBont cast Keanu. Of course, he wasn't the first pick, so they you know, looked at a million other actors, I think, before they settled on Keanu, and it sounded like very close to the actual production where they weren't sure who the stars were going to be. It does say that Jan DeBont saw Keanu in Point Break uh, and wanted to cast him after seeing him there, and that quote he was vulnerable on the screen he's not threatening to men because he's not that bulky but he looks great to women too point break and speed is kind of like your quintessential like not 90s action movie makeover where and i think we've talked about this on the show a little bit before where in the 80s you have you know your arnold's and your stallones and your chuck norris's like just some really big bulky dudes you know and then keanu it's much more slender, much more androgynous in a way. So the 90s just kind of heralding in like a new type of action star. And I think Jan DeBont could be credited for that in a way where, uh, like he said, like he has that vulnerability. He has like a slimmer build, but he's still like a tough guy, but he's also a good looking guy, you know, so he can kind of fit into a lot of different different ways than, you know, say like a Stallone or a Arnold could. Yeah, what's interesting to me is like with Keanu, even though he's had arguably a a more diverse career, I would say, whether that's for the good or the bad, than Schwarzenegger or Stallone, you cannot deny that he he has this Mount Rushmore of action heroes in his filmography between Johnny Utah, Jack Traven, Neo, and John Wick, even though he is not necessarily the quintessential maybe action hero that people think of right away when they think of that era. Usually they think of Arnold or, or Sly first. Yeah. Yeah. He's without a doubt. And, and the interesting thing when you look at it is the films that he did in between point break and speed really kind of show that even though he really enjoyed action movies as you know, Keanu's actually said in interviews, his highest priority was really variety because he did Bill and Ted's bogus journey, my private Idaho Bram Stoker's Dracula, much ado about nothing in between those two, those two films. And it's just, and then when he follows up speed, he's immediately like, yeah, I'm not going to do another like straightforward action movie. I'm going to do this techno thriller, Johnny Mnemonic. And then I'm going to do Alfonso Arau's uh, follow up to like water for chocolate, a a walk in the clouds. Yeah. Just reading about him having, uh, he was studying Hamlet at the time they were making speed. So just imagining like Keanu sitting on the bus, like between takes, like prepping for, uh, to do Hamlet in like a, I think it was like a Canadian production or something like that. So yeah, yeah definitely a, a Renaissance man, you know, a man of very different interests. Yeah. And I think what imprinted on me about Keanu's performance in Speed was sort of that restraint and control he maintains, even though he's still like the hero. He's not like big and bombastic. Like he's not this macho superhero like Stallone and Schwarzenegger with a cigar and a Gatling gun or like Bruce Willis coming in with an arsenal of one-liners and a chip on his shoulder. Keanu, he played this more methodical, more calculated hero with this earnestness about him and and I really think he accomplished what he was going for. Definitely. Yeah, I think earnestness is a is a great 
phrase to throw at him here. I think it's weird now to think of a time where people said Keanu couldn't act or he was really wooden going back and watching this. This character that he's playing, we don't really get a ton of background about him or much info in his personal life. Other than that, he's single because, you know, when he leaves that party later and he's like, kind of been too great. Woke up alone. Like he's kind of just like this young, really, really serious police officer who has some kind of quippy lines. I mean, his first line in the movie is basement when someone says what could stop this elevator he's <laughs> right. really perfect in this role now everybody loves keanu now no one's knocking his acting or saying that he can't act anymore and i think that's really great and i'm really glad for him and i think he's excellent in this movie i know jackson sent us a really great sort of roundtable discussion with all the cast members or the actors who were on the bus and they all talk about how serious he was and you can see like he's really trying to like find like what is the essence of this character what exactly should i be doing in every moment and i feel like he nails this role man one of my favorite things uh reading about this and favorite part of this movie has always been in the elevator scenes as we're just thrown right into the situation where the mad bomber, Dennis Hopper, has the bombs on the elevator. He's ransoming these people off. And you see Keanu and Jeff Daniels just, first first of all, the car flying up over the hill, just ramping up over the hill, and then pulling in and getting out and like the SWAT team just infiltrating the building, where Keanu is chewing gum the whole time. Yeah. That has always been like one of my favorite little character character ticks or character traits uh, for for him in this. Or apparently, it's not in the original screenplay, but he, uh, Keanu Reeves and Yanda Bont, they, you know, they agreed that the gum chewing was an ingenious way, quote, to foreshadow Jack Traven's gut feelings and exposing his thought process to the audience. I don't know if I got all that just from watching it, but. I don't know. There's something about like the attitude and the way he carries himself and the way he's chewing that gum and the quippy lines. Like it's not your typical like, oh, yeah, I'm a badass. But like you said, he's very serious, but he has like these gut feelings and he's kind of a maverick. You know, he kind of goes off script and flies by the seat of his pants kind of guy. But like you said, very methodical, obviously can kind of think on his feet and pinpoint like what's going to happen kind of with those gut feelings predict, okay, he's going to blow it, you know, and all this stuff. So just him chewing the gum. I get all that just from him chewing the gum in the, yeah. in those early elevator scenes. I love it. The gum chewing. I can't agree more, Jordan. I felt like that was such an effective choice to frame Jack as like all business, calm and collected. This is just a job to him. And, you know, we're meeting the SWAT and they're just like, there's two or three lines and exchanges in there that just tell you so much about him that are just like really like they're interesting choices that Keanu's making, you know, like when they're looking at the bomb and Harry says something like, what do you think? And then Keanu says, you're the expert. I just work here. Yeah. <laughs> and then Harry says something later where he's like 30 more years of this and you get a tiny pension and a cheap gold watch. And then Keanu's just like, cool cool yeah and it's just like <laughs> all of this is just like really fun and memorable choices that keanu's making and then to jump back to what you said like the first time we see 
Jack and Harry like fly over that hill and it's just this exaggerated like jump this car is making and like landing right in front of the building they hop out and there's this like sweeping pan around them it's like right. I'm watching that and I'm thinking this is the kind of scene that last action heroes set satirizing like right. it's like just over the top but it's just like catnip for action movie fans it's just for yeah. sure and I always say to Nick like about Keanu I think we talked about this when we covered point break but he definitely excels I think when he is playing the like the kind of stoner characters or like the kind of I hate to say dumb but you know just the kind of more goofy characters like he has a persona f- for that I think that he tried to get away from from Bill and Ted but I feel like it it always kind of walks around with him and you know like it kind of peeks through at times here like the gum chewing and like the the quippiness and the seriousness like i don't know there's a little bit of that like kind of dumb macho meathead kind of guy that goes along with this swat guy just doing his job so i feel like that even that like works here and you know to his advantage maybe that's a hot take maybe people won't like me basically saying Keanu is dumb and always carries around this kind of dumb goofiness, but I love it. No, I think there was like, there's a complicated, you know, thing that he's doing behind that character. Um, I definitely see that there's a little bit of that sort of like meathead bravado there, but I just, I love that he's so like internal and that he's going with those gut instincts and things like that. When they first get into that elevator shaft and he's, he's doing all like the sort of making the gut, judgments and harry's the one that's like operating in facts and he's evaluating everything i feel like that chemistry just works really well and so i you know that may have even been something where he was like okay i need to be less of the thinker and more of like the going with my gut guy and that just comes off in his performance because even uh hopper later you know his character says harry was the brains of your operation and yeah i definitely saw that too yeah, it's it's definitely built into the the characters and I love that dynamic between him and Jeff Daniels, you're right. Like he even says, you know, they they're basically going to use this crane to try and hold up the elevator at one point there in the elevator sequence in the beginning and Jeff Daniels is like, "Will it hold?" and uh Jack's like, "Yeah, it'll hold." But, you know, it doesn't hold. <laughs> like later it <laughs> crashes through the vents and everything and like you know, just hanging on by a thread while they get everybody out. So, like, he made this gut reaction, and it it definitely like helped save everybody in the end. But obviously, he wasn't completely right. You know, it didn't hold. Like, yeah, he didn't calculate that correctly. He says, "No, we just take them out of the equation." <laughs> right. <laughs> Love it. Well, speaking of them, and not to take too much attention off of Keanu, but one of my favorite things about this movie. And it did win a lot of sound awards, which I think are very well-deserved because the audio in this movie is great. But you constantly yeah. have lines from the extras going, please don't leave us here, and stuff like that. It's just constant. It's on the bus, too, just constantly, which is very real. It feels like you're there. I know that he said he, he was going to bring a European style to this movie, Debonted, but... For me, that really kind of ups the stakes is you have like the, the cool action heroes working on things, but you keep cutting back to the elevator and it just feels very real. And I don't feel like he ever spends more than one second too much in the elevator. But I just thought that the sound from the extras in there and how desperate they start to feel really kind of ups up the tension very quickly. 
Yeah, I love how frenetic DeBont like films. Like once the elevator starts, uh, starts actually plunging and like stopping, and he cuts into the elevator, and just he films the the chaos inside of it different before and after uh, it starts happening, and it's just really well done. And one of the things that shocked me is that we almost didn't get the elevator sequence. Like it was almost just the bus the whole movie. And then, and then the studio was like, no, there's too much bus. We need to have like more other sequences happening, which is how we got the elevator sequence and then the, the subway sequence. And DeBont brought the elevator idea to Graham Yost, I believe, who, who we haven't mentioned yet, but Graham Yost wrote it. And he had an experience while shooting Die Hard where he was stuck inside an elevator uh, at the Fox Plaza building on like the 40th floor and had to be rescued out of the rooftop hatch. So when they were like, you know, what can we do as like our inciting incident, uh, DeBont brought that to uh, to Yoast. I think I read too, um, and this was in the piece that you shared with us with all the character actors from the bus, how there was another version of the script basically that was kind of like the exposition or setting all this up and they just basically cut everything and you jump right into the action and you know if that was true or not but i just love this movie and how it opens where we we immediately get this situation and we are immediately introduced to jack and harry and we're not told anything about their backstories you know we don't really learn that much about who they are except for what's on screen and i just love that and i think you know it's the gum chewing and those lines between jack and harry as they're working on the elevator and trying to save everybody like we get to know them so well just from just a few minutes there and it's still action-packed and it's gauging and it just jumps right in i love the shot once the elevator finally falls where you see the uh the crane like kind of dangling behind it and hitting the sides of the shaft and then the people all rush out to the stairwell while jack and harry are just sitting there next to it and they're like was it good for you just like great writing (laughs) well to nick your point about the the extras or the character actors in the elevator i think those are some of the most like memorable extras i can think of in a movie uh just these background characters just the time that debont gives to them there and just you know like the lady who's scared and won't come off the elevator i hate her that moment has always stuck with me. And yeah, like you hate her. You're in that moment. You're just like, get off the elevator. And they even have like a little shot where like the SWAT team are helping this other like young fine lady get off the elevator. And they like kind of lift up her skirt and you see her panties. Like, did y'all notice that? You went this? full 90s yeah. there, that young fine lady. She the was young fine, fine lady. Yeah. I, I love too that, uh, Jordan, I don't think you watched Mad Men. Uh, Jackson, did you watch Mad Men by any chance? A, a little bit, but I... I say what you're gonna say yeah it's pa- patrick fishler who plays bobby barrett from Mad Men, who's just this really acidic comic from Mad Men, who just can't help but try to like hurt people and get under their skin and if i remember right i think that don draper has an affair with his wife but he has an affair with everyone's wife so it, that doesn't really stand out and also he was phil from lost who is very grouchy and lost too but here everyone blames him for the elevator messing up they're like what button did you press yeah Oh yeah. What I also remember Patrick Fischler from was Mulholland Drive, oh. where he like has that like freak out when the lady comes out from oh, behind the that, dumpster. Oh, that is yeah the the creepy hobo character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that is the same that's guy. Him. Right. Yeah. And a question for Nick because I know you've freshly watched it. Did you know 
that the lady who who is not coming out of the elevator at the end that they have to like you know she's the last one she's also in speed two. Oh, i saw that in the trivia yeah who is she in speed two? well her character in that one i think her name is constance and she's like one of the people that are like sitting around the table when um alex and annie are like at like having that first night uh dinner before alex like gets sick and she's like sitting around the table and she's in a few other shots of it uh a, a few other scenes as well but I recognized her and I was like, what? And I had to do a double take and go look back online and figure out that it actually was her. Cool. Man. So to get through the rest of this elevator sequence real quick. So, you know, we, we meet Hopper and let's talk about Dennis Hopper for a little bit. We meet him, you know, first thing the movie opens up and the, the guard comes to investigate him working on the elevator and then gets stabbed in the face or the ear the ear ear, yes it's the ear yes first thing in the movie you know you just got dennis hopper right there like the mad bomber the movie wastes zero time exactly and obviously we have a lot of love for dennis hopper on this show our trivia battle opens up with the pop quiz hot shot from this movie like this is our mascot right here like this in point break uh this is this is film shake territory all the way so Man, Dennis Hopper wanted to point out him in River's Edge uh, with Keanu Reeves from the 80s. Love that movie and talked about it before on some of our bonus episodes, but it has one of my favorite insults to a person that Keanu Reeves gives in that movie where he's mad at his stepdad and he's like, Motherfucker! Food eater! Because his stepdad's just like eating all the food in the house. So food eater as an insult is like just my favorite thing. But yeah, Dennis Hopper has some some awesome stuff in that in that film as well. So having them back here in speed is great. Their chemistry, like even though you don't see them together a whole lot in this movie, you know, they're mostly talking on the phone, but I just I just love the antagonism between them. I also love that really since this movie has three main acts, it's like three movies in one, it becomes more yeah. about their relationship, the two of them kind of butting heads and being each other's nemesis, because really, Dennis Hopper's character could be future Keanu. That's true. Could be future Keanu? Yeah, like because... he's traveled back in time to... No, not himself. literally, Jordan. No, we <laughs> we always end up time traveling and making characters the same person. Yeah, never mind, Jordan. Yes, that that exactly what you said. Wait, um, what did you mean? I meant like on a. <laughs> this is a whole different movie now. Uh, I meant on a more symbolic level. You know, he's oh, okay. a he's a disgruntled police officer. Oh who yes, maybe yes, ha- yes. would have had a similar career to Keanu, doing all these death-defying, dangerous feats for the city that he works for, and then not getting his due for it once his finger gets blown off. Speed three, old Keanu becomes that character. Travels back in time, and, and and is the Dennis Hopper character in Speed One. Oh no! Yes. Well, man, I love how early on in the elevator sequence between Jack and Harry talking, you know, like they basically Harry's the one that starts the whole pop quiz thing, like you know, what do you do in this situation? And Keanu says, "You shoot the hostage," and then that comes back later when they face off against. Hopper and he's got Harry and he's got the the boomstick or the death man switch or whatever you want to call it 
And so then Keanu decides to shoot him in the leg. <laughs> I love how angry Jeff Daniels is at the whole movie yeah. for shooting him, even though he's the one who did tell him to do it. So, But this backs up your time travel theory because Keanu says pop quiz, right? That's his thing. And then he lays out a scenario. Well, who else says it? <laughs> Dennis Hopper. Maybe That's they are right. the same person, Jordan. You're a That's genius. Right. The confrontation between Jack and Harry and the bomber is just so perfect when they're like, when they come out in the basement. I, I love the way that set them up. And I actually thought there's a way that you could also do this where you could have the explosion and Hopper gets away and it just it goes up in smoke. And then you have to say speed. And that was like your title card. But I also love the way that they ended up doing it anyway. But yeah. Yeah. Got to give a shout out to the sweet 90s titles where the letters like twist and turn and appear like on the screen and then like just blow up and fly forward toward the toward the camera, which is amazing. If the font has a sound effect, it's from the 90s. (laughs) That's right. In this scene where he supposedly blows himself up, he definitely, you know, sets off some sort of bomb and then gets away. But correct me if I'm wrong. This is where he says... Don't fuck with daddy. Yes. <laughs> I love the trivia that this is like a callback to Blue Vel- David Lynch's Blue Velvet, where <laughs> Dennis Hopper plays Frank Booth and he tells Isabella Rosalini not to call him baby, call him daddy. Call me daddy. <laughs> so he's, yeah, this is Frank Booth turned mad bomber. I love how great, even whenever he's shooting him, Keanu's chemistry is with Jeff Daniels too, because obviously Jeff Daniels doesn't get on the bus later, so they're not physically together throughout the whole movie, but their chemistry is so good. I don't know how much testing they did between the two of them. And maybe it's just that Jeff Daniels chemistry is good with everyone, but I really love that. And I love after the scene, they, they get this award ceremony. You know, they both win the highest honor basically for Keanu shooting Jeff Daniels and saving the day there. (laughs) And then they go to the bar and again with like the, how the movie just feels real and natural. Like it's just yeah. happening. You've got this 23 minute sequence in the, around the elevator that feels like it lasts about 90 seconds, which is insane to me that it's 23 minutes of, uh, yeah. and you know, a 115 minute movie. And then you get to the bar where Jeff Daniels, you know, his legs all jacked. He's just getting totally wasted. Everyone's really getting wasted, but it just feels (laughs) real. It really feels like a bunch of colleagues because it's them and the other policemen just out for a drink. I really enjoyed that scene, too. And nothing is blowing up or getting shot in that scene. I'm going to go home and have me some sex. (laughs) I love that line. Harry, you're going to go home and throw up. (laughs) that'll be fun too (laughs) the funny thing is like i love in that scene that the way they kind of and they've already established joe morton in the early scene but like i just want to shout out joe morton because he just does such a great job in this movie and they establish him as this like leader among leaders and they just give this like human connection between him and the guys and he says here's you guys for doing your job and not getting dead right i love it (laughs) You know, he just focuses on his his men and his women on his team, and he doesn't need to take the credit. He was so good in that. A lot of people remember him from Dyson in Terminator 2 or as Olivia Pope's dad in Scandal. But I feel like the authority and control that he has in this movie just doesn't come off as cliche. He could have been the typical police chief that's like yelling at all the guys and just like that sort of like cliche that we always see. But he just evokes this sense of trust and support to his team and just strikes me as really authentic in this role through and through. 
I love Joe Morton. Like that's you said it perfectly. That's so good. The other thing I was gonna say is like when they're at the bar. First off, did you notice that the bartender is the grandma from Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> she looked no. familiar, but I didn't notice that. No. Yeah, it's just like a split second thing, and then I was like, wait, and then I look back, and yeah, that was her. And then secondly, it's like Harry and Jack's relationship—the way they establish it—is like Jack is sort of like the foot soldier, and Harry's like this like detective. Right. It just kind of like goes throughout the movie, and then Harry warns Jack, "One day your luck is going to run out," which kind of foreshadows his own fate later in the movie. He says, I'm not going to be there to back you up. And, and I just thought that was an interesting uh, way to, to do that. And I'm so I'm so glad that they did it the way they did, because um, Graham Yost and Devon, um, they both say that, like, Harry Temple was originally meant to be uh, the villain. And oh, wow. he, w- he was meant to be played by Ed Harris. And oh, so it was going to be like, basically, Jack's partner is like, turns on him and ends up being the bomber after all. But then... I don't know, I think it was like a month or two before the they started shooting, they scrapped the whole idea, they cast Daniels as Harry, and then they cast Hopper as the bomber. And right. while I think Ed Harris is a phenomenal, phenomenal villain, as we see in The Rock, so much of the energy pushing speed forward is that interplay between Hopper and Reeves as the hero and the villain, right. and, then, and then also Harry as jack's partner who's kind of like his eyes and ears in a way right because you wouldn't get any of that back and forth between the hero and the villain if it were his partner you know he would just be talking to him assuming that he's on his side right and then you'd get a twist at the end but yeah i'm really glad they they did it the way they did it i mean can you even imagine jeff daniels as a villain if they went that route and stuck with daniels in that role i don't know I don't know. No. Yeah. <laughs> he might have been the turning point for him. We're like, yeah. oh, you know, we got this guy. Like, he's, you, you got to love this guy. He can't, he can't be a villain. Did you guys notice that uh, Jeff Daniels was in two films in 94 and he played a character named Harry in both of them? Yes, because I asked this as a trivia question one time to Nick, and I think it might be what, like, one out of 100 that you got wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. For some reason, I thought Dumb and Dumber came out in 95, but I watched it in 95. I'm like, man, like, I think in, in 94, I, th- I thought uh, Jeff Daniels was just, like, the best actor ever, because I was like, wow, he did this and this? You know, so. Yeah, great year for Daniels. Yep. So we we move on into the bus sequences. So I love the little scene where we get Keanu picking up his coffee and his muffins. He almost forgets his muffins, you know. And uh, and then, obviously, Hopper is still alive because we've seen him earlier when uh, he's watching the award ceremony. And he blows up a bus right on the street where Keanu is getting into his Ford Bronco. Bus blows up in the background. I love how Keanu runs after this flaming bus and then he's like, ah, ah, and he's holding up his hands and holding up his jacket to like help shield him from the fire, but he's still just staying right next to the bus. So that's kind of like a silly moment, but his friend was in there, you know, he knew the bus driver apparently and obviously went to like check and see what he could do. And then probably one of my favorite shots in this movie is where he starts to hear the 
uh, payphone ringing, and then we get a shot of the payphones on the side of the street and the reflection of the fire coming from the bus on the metal of the payphones. I don't know why. I just thought that was that just stood out to me this time watching it. I thought it was so cool. And then you know, of course, you get the the classic conversation between Hopper and Keanu, where he gives him another pop quiz hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? A great setup. You know, I love how Hopper gives him, you know, this challenge, like, what do you do? And then Keanu asks a few questions. Hopper tells him the number of the bus, where the bus is at. And then I love how Keanu just drops the phone and then just starts running and gets in his car and he's just like he immediately takes off. From the moment that the bus explodes to when Keanu drops the phone is probably like the most important three minutes of the movie for me because it sets the stakes, compresses all this critical exposition into just a few lines and just just establishes the hero and the villain so well. And it's just like a yeah, it's just a great scene and it's just on its own if you just watch it separately and then obviously the callback to pop quiz hot shot i think i have the steel book for speed and on the back of this steel book it just has those words it's just like a really cool design steel book so yeah i love this scene the purity of the setup is incredible too there aren't a lot of movies where the setup that's this simple and this pure and when Hopper lays it out, it's like, man, how did how has no one ever thought of this idea for a movie before? Why can't people come up with ideas this simple and this pure more often? But it's I don't know. For me, that this whole movie, there's a certain purity that's just amazing. And when you leave this scene, we get introduced to Sandra Bullock. And I'm just going to keep pointing out time because it's really amazing to me how time works in this movie it's 31 minutes into this movie now again and it's not a long movie it's less than two hours but it's more than half an hour before sandra bullock even makes an appearance i think a lot of people it sounds like saw the script and were like oh this is gonna be like a dumb movie this is a bus movie what are you gonna do with that but bond said that too he said right oh it's a bus this is gonna be boring right but like you said nick the this concept and boiled down into that three minute exposition like you said jackson is just amazing just like the simplicity of this whole setup there's a bomb on a bus if it reaches 50 miles per hour the bomb is armed if it slows down below 50 it blows up what do you do it's so good it's so good so yeah i wish we had so many more movies that had this great of an idea but it was you know it's so simplistic for an but that's what you need i think for an action movie just have this great concept and then execute it in a phenomenal way and it just delivers on every front sandra bullock i mean for me speed falls right into my absolute favorite period of bullock's career which is like 93 to 96 that area like demolition man i think it's where we all kind of fell in love with sandra bullock i don't know about you guys but like I loved Demolition Man, but then Speed solidified her as like this above the title star. And then While You Were Sleeping is like probably my favorite lead role she's ever had. And then immediately after that, she does The Net. Was it just like a weird little scrappy dated thriller that I just, I still get a kick out of despite its problems. 
So it was just, yeah, going back and seeing this uh, again, even though I've rewatched this movie so many times, it's just awesome when you see her on the first time on screen. Yeah, she's just glowing. She's just immediately likable and adorable. And this credited to her as well in all the behind the scenes stuff that we've read about the other passengers on the bus, like her just being one of those people they saw that light, you know, like people could just tell that she was going to be a star and it's just great to watch her on screen becoming a star, you know, as she's making this movie, like you, she just has that glow about her, has a lot of humor, but she has a lot of emotional moments too, you know, just some big moments throughout here. But I think we talked on Twitter about this a little bit, but one of my favorite scenes and one of my favorite, like obviously poorly ADR'd like audio dub later, but the scene in which she takes the chewing gum out of her mouth, going back to the gum chewing again, and she pretends it's on her seat to get away from Alan Ruck's like annoying character. You know what? I, I got gum on my seat. Gum. Just that line reading. <laughs> so many of the lines and the line readings in this movie have just stuck in my head for so I long. Know. And I never even I realized until this time that it was her gum. That, you know, I, I always just thought she sat in gum, but she pulled it right yeah. out of her own mouth. You're right. I didn't notice it until this time either. She pulls it out of her mouth. And apparently this was Bullock's idea. Like she improvised or had this idea and they went with it uh, to change seats because of the pretending to sit on gum. So I just, I don't know. I just love it. And like you said, so many lines in this are iconic and just stick with you. And they're kind of ridiculous or just kind of kind of goofy but i don't know they just stick in your head and they're great when she's sitting there next to uh beth grant and she's like yeah well i love my car i miss my car like there's so many things like that that just come up and i'm like yeah i remember that and and at this point when she sits down and the bus takes off and it switches over to uh jack just kind of pursuing the bus getting in getting in the the bronco and pulling up onto the freeway the mark mancina score in full swing i just have on my notes in all caps cinema so good and this is i mean it's cinema but it's also eerie in how it harkens to the oj simpson bronco chase on the highway it looked you know it's like even watching it this time i was like oh yeah that's right which happened after this (laughs) right it's just kind of nuts how coincidental that is but yeah it's just that mancina score like you said and the aerial shots of him chasing down the bus on the freeway I love the Jaguar guy, Glenn Plummer. I always have him in my head as the whoa shit guy. (laughs) Because the way he says it. Whoa shit! Whoa shit! Whoa shit! (laughs) But Keanu breaking the door off that Jaguar so he can, you know, have like a clear way to jump onto the bus is just, I mean, talk about cinema. Oh, yeah. That's just one of my favorite moments. I love how 
when he's trying to get on the bus, and, you know, he's punching the window when he's running before he gets in the Jaguar, Sandra Bullock is saying, don't let him on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sam, don't let him on. And they hadn't reached 50 yet. So if he'd got on that bus right there, no more movie or, you know, you got to do something else, Hopper. Right. Because, uh, yeah, he had a, they had a chance right there to avoid this whole situation. I love how, yeah, when he bangs on the, the glass of the door, he breaks the glass. And apparently that was an accident. They just left it in. Yeah, the Glenn Plummer thing. I always have the headcanon that his character is like a producer or something because he has the license plate Tune Man. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> and then it's great. He's he's great. And they even bring him back for the sequel, which is oh, nice. was odd and just like okay like he's not like a key character but okay we'll do that but i love the the whole point when jack pulls the jaguar around the front and he's trying to you know get the bus driver's attention and then he has glenn Plummer write bomb on bus on the sign and just that whole like hit of like the paper hits the the windshield sam the bus driver sees it and his foot starts like coming off the gas and the just the te- you can feel the tension rising it was just like Love it. Yeah, man. Those scenes are so good. And then I have to point out time again. Keanu finally gets on the bus 40 minutes in. So we've had 40 minutes of movie that haven't drug at all, that don't feel like a waste of time at all. But the whole basis of the movie and what you think of is bomb on the bus, 50 miles an hour. It's 40 minutes until it gets on. Right. You don't feel that time at all. I think what this movie does for me, and it really picks it up from here on out, once he gets on the bus is just how invested you become and how in that moment you become where I almost just forget my reality as I'm watching this and I'm just sucked right into that situation. I mean, I could have seen this movie a thousand times and I'm still right there as invested and I'm as tense, just like wanting to see what happens, even though I know what's going to happen. It's uh, it just pulls you in kind of unlike any other action movie that I know or that I can think of. Yeah, and I think that might be why it ranks so high for me is it's just the momentum of this film, it just goes one thing after another after another and the set pieces just sort of like stack on each other as you go and go through the movie. Jack boarding the bus, I think this is like one of the iconic stunts of the film and Keanu actually did the stunt himself against Jan de Bont's uh, wishes and he practiced it in secret and then insisted on doing it the day of shooting and de Bont was like freaking out but they pulled it <laughs> off yeah he apparently did about 90% of his own stunts in this and that was kind of a selling point I think for Keanu that de Bont did himself where he told him hey you know like you might not want to be in this action movie but what if it'll be fun you'll get to do some stunts and so it sounds like de Bont had to kind of balance some things out we're like okay i got him on board because of the stunts but now i have to kind of pull him back and rein him in so i don't kill my star (laughs) we have the gang member guy pulling the gun on jack accidentally shooting sam the bus driver but you have all these other characters here that you know we get to see little bits of my favorite being Gigantor, <laughs> Ortiz, <laughs> Ortiz. Ortiz, but Gigantor, like, just again, one of those little, like, word triggers, you know, it's just like, Gigantor, that's always going to be in my brain. 
Well, that's where you get the feeling that someone maybe stepped in and rewrote part of the script, which I, I think Joss Whedon rewrote all the dialogue. And of course, yeah. he would reference a 1960s anime for the nickname of a large <laughs> passenger. Right, right. Yeah, there were a few lines like that that were a little bit dated, or you would see the references and you'd be like, oh, yeah, wow, that seems obscure. Um, <laughs> I, oh, it was Joss Whedon, of course. <laughs> yeah, I love... When he tells Annie after um, the guy's been shot, he says, you slow down and this bus will explode. You, you then get these reaction shots of everybody mm-hmm. on the bus. And you're just like reestablishing everybody. And from this point forward, I think there's this major theme that is established where these passengers are all in this together. So there's so much more than just Jack Traven versus Howard Payne. You feel like these passengers they're going to be together as they survive these obstacles and it's just going to continue to to pull them together and bond them that's that's one of the things i re- noticed you know going into it this time yeah the sense of community on the bus they established so well and so early on yeah which makes it really realize after watching it again how how much debont does with just visuals and like close-ups and people's reactions that you know, you might have thought needed dialogue or backstory or that sort of thing, but he really gives you a sense of character of all these seemingly glorified extras with just the visuals. And and that was something that really stood out to me as a triumph. That stood out to me too. And reading the article you shared with us about the perspective of all these character actors, all the bus passengers, how basically when they first got the script, they were promised a lot more lines, it seemed like, and a lot more involvement in defusing the bomb or helping Jack in the situation. And perhaps that lends something to it. I mean, all that was cut, and it seems like a lot of those character actors were disappointed. They wanted you know to have more of a role. But it does seem like perhaps that, even though that was cut, there was still some of that character there in their minds. It helped kind of build that character for them to be in the moment. And then so much of this, I think, is just almost documentary, like reaction shots of them just wowing and ooing at all the stunts that are being performed and the explosions going off. So it feels very authentic in that way, too. Yes. And also when the driver gets shot, I just always remember random lines of dialogue from the extras. And I love whenever you can hear the lady in the background when Keanu has moved the driver further back on the bus so that Sandra Bullock can drive. While Keanu is distracted, obviously, by the bomb and Sandra Bullock driving, you just hear her yell out, He's bleeding so much, I don't know what to do, there's so much blood! He's bleeding so much, I don't know what to do, there's so much blood! For some reason, her voice (laughs) pops in my head at least once a week. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so Sandra has to take over at this point, uh, driving the bus, which we get the great line that she is riding the bus because she lost her driver's license. <laughs> and uh, Keanu asks her, asks her, for what? For speeding. So <laughs> just <laughs> great, just great dialogue there. And like we said, a lot of the dialogue rewritten by Joss Whedon. So. That's definitely where we get all the the quippy one-liners and the kind of fun repartee. Yeah, and the funny thing is that uh, Sandra Bullock actually learned how to drive a bus as prep for the film. Like, she she took her bus driver's license exam and passed on the first try. But neither Bullock or Hawthorne James, who plays Sam, 
uh, ever actually drove any of the buses that they used to film it. They just right. had them. They had them at the wheel, and they'd, you know, they'd have a, a stunt driver like off to the right of the bus, or they had all these different buses. They, I think, they used something like thirteen different buses to film this uh, movie, and they had different situations as far as like where they would place the driving mechanism at different points on different buses. Yeah, they had like people on top of the bus with a steering wheel driving it. That right. saw shots of. They had like a kind of plexiglass cage on the front of the bus where the cinematographer and cameraman are standing like shooting into the bus that way. So it's pretty crazy. All the different stuff they did to make this movie. And you know, all that prepping for them driving the bus, even if they didn't drive, it still paid off. Cause I tell you what, it looks like they're really driving that bus. I never doubted it for a second. Yeah. That's the thing I think about all of this movie. It feels very real. Like I don't think there's any, thing that happens where i'm pulled out of it where i'm just like oh, okay they're they're faking it or you know this is just a movie there's one little tiny moment kind of one situation later toward the end that i'll talk about that that does pull me out just a little bit but this whole middle section the bus action I mean, you like you said jackson you've got so many set pieces building on top of one another so you don't even have time to like stop and think like oh that didn't look real because it did look real and now we're into a new situation so them yeah. getting through the city where they have to get off the interstate and drive through the city and like crashing into cars and you know near misses with garbage trucks and stuff like that. That's all just like on the edge of your seat, like hair raising. But then right after that, you've got the situation where they're trying to get the driver off the bus and the uh, the vehicle pulling up next to them. And uh, the whole conversation with Hopper, like, you got to give me one, you know, the bus driver's been shot. So... He uh, he lets him off, basically, because it sounds like Keanu talks him into it. Like, oh, this way you'll get your money faster. This will kind of kind of grease the wheels with uh, you showing some charity here if you let the shot bus driver off the bus. Yeah, because the bus is constantly in motion. There's no dead time. So they're constantly met with these new challenges or obstacles. And this is one of the big problems I had with the sequel, which we can get into later. But the cruise liner there's no exterior threats. It's just like, there's nothing like traffic or stoplights or pedestrians. And it just doesn't move like this movie does. Even like the little things, they find ways to create a new beat or something. Like when Jack finds the bomb under the bus and he's like leaning under to look at it and they're doing the passenger relay, which also gives us like one of the coolest character moments from Alan Ruck where he's like, Sir, take this. I want you to tell him what I see. Okay. We got a wad! Pretty big! There's a pretty big wad. Brass fittings? Brass fittings. I think I can reach the circuit wire. He can reach the circuit wire. No, 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 don't, don't, don't. That's a, that's a decoy, classic. That's your classic decoy. What else? What else? Hold on. Hold on. Fuck me. Oh, darn. <laughs> yes, yes. We have the moment with Helen after the bus driver getting off the bus onto the other vehicle. You have her trying to get off. And obviously, they've been told Hopper's going to blow it if you let anybody else off the bus. So I think this is one moment where Jan de Bont did say he regretted not having all the bus passengers like rush forward and trying to get off. But I think it it works here to really highlight 
this one character and, you know, she's kind of been whimpering and complaining and she looks back at Annie like, I'm sorry, I just got to do it. But then apparently Hopper's got this tiny bomb planted right underneath the steps so that it goes off and then she's just roadkill after that. I love in that piece that Jackson sent that the actress herself while watching the movie was like, thank God she's dead. What a killjoy. <laughs> but we skipped one of my favorite line readings of cans. It was cans. Cans! Cans! No big, it was full of cans. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> oh yes. I have written down in my notes, no one says cans like Keanu, which I firmly believe is true. <laughs> yeah, I felt like that was the best it was the best fake out of the worst possible outcome the bus could have. <laughs> so they like gave you this sense of like dread and then immediately followed it up with like this humorous payoff and it was like you get to have your cake and eat it too yes talk about dread and wordy just seeing that buggy fly up in the air and it's just kind of suspended and slow motion for a minute and you're just yeah watch i can imagine going back and watching this for the first time just being like oh my god they just killed a baby another thing that i think adds to that the tension of that moment i have to go into the the sound element again is they adr'd in so much of bullock freaking out while driving up to that point where she's just yelling stay out of my way stay out of my way you know whenever they hit the big turn another thing that i hear in my head at least once a day probably for the last 28 (laughs) years is whenever they have to take a tight turn and she yells here we go here we go She just keeps yelling. So, you know, like she is under pressure. She is really tense right now. So hitting a baby buggy with a real life baby inside would break her brain. She would just die at the wheel and then everyone else would die. So it (laughs) makes that moment even more tense. Yeah. And then she gets that crosswalk and those those kids are starting to walk out into it. And she's like, why aren't they in school? Why aren't they in school? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jackson, that brings up something that I've thought about always is hopper is in this room we keep cutting to his little apartment and he's got all these tv screens on and college football is on one of the tvs so is this supposed to be a saturday or is this just a pre-recorded game that he can't remember and is watching yeah that's one of those things i've you know because i think even one of them looks like a night game and so i've kind of let that be a suspension of disbelief thing where maybe he's got him pre-taped they get to the freeway and the cool this is one of my favorite things about speed is the fact that this is just i don't know some sort of lucky uh happenstance you know by when they they shot it but the 105 freeway is the freeway for people who live in la you get off to go to lax and it's it's like an east west freeway it's not that long it wasn't completed until the fall of 1993 and from what i've heard they finished shooting this movie and then like the next week they opened the freeway so the fact that they had this 18 mile long full scale set to shoot the freeway scenes on is just like amazing they were able to have real cars driving around the bus in choreographed sequences and be able to reset these 100 or whatever 80 cars every time they had to reshoot i mean that's stuff that you would that would all be cgi nowadays yeah i think it it adds so much to this portion of the film makes it very real and i love reading about the bus jump scene how that wasn't in the original script here so Jan DeBont came up with that one day when he was driving around Los Angeles and he noticed a section of the 105 freeway missing. I guess, yeah, this was when it was still uh, being constructed. And then 
it was finished by the time they filmed it. So they go and film that scene and had to digitally remove that portion to make it look like a real gap, which I could, I would have never known that if you hadn't, if I hadn't read that, I would think that is legit. Like that is real. Like whatever set they used, I have never noticed that that was digitally removed and they added in like birds flying across or whatever. So I think they did an amazing job with that. So Graham Yost also has a really good quote about this when he talks about, um, I'll read it. It says, uh, Jan said, I want it to hit a metaphorical wall. I want there to be a point in the middle of the movie where it looks like it's game over and there's no way they can get out of it. According to the laws of physics, they couldn't get out of that. But according to the laws of movie making, they managed to survive. That is a big dividing point in this movie. If you throw your hands up and say, well, that's just ridiculous and that wouldn't happen, then you might as well walk out. We've lost you and we've blown it. But if you go, well, that was awesome. Then we've got you. You're enjoying the ride and it's a and it's a movie and away we go for the next hour. And that's, I couldn't agree more. I feel like this is like the litmus test for whether or not you're going to enjoy speed, especially the second half of the movie. Right. And I think there's so much power in that moment that when Mythbusters did one of their movie episodes where they tested the idea that you could do this, and found that you the, a bus really couldn't do this, right? I mean, we, we know that it can, and they knew that it wasn't going to work, but it almost felt like they were like, ah, but who cares? Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. It's an awesome movie stunt. I love that they, they performed the bus, bus jump twice, and the first time the, the stunt driver missed the ramp and crashed into the other side of the gap. Or he like he missed it, and then they lost. The, they weren't able to shoot it. And then the second time, two days later, they prepared the the bus jump, and it overshot the jump and landed on the camera on the other side, destroying it. But they had a second camera further out that captured the landing, so they were able to use it. Yeah, it seems like if you talk about speed, people remember this bus jump, right? Like it's this, it's a big moment here, and I love that. Apparently, yeah, they had filmed it twice and it landed too smoothly the first time as well. So they went back and redid it because uh, you kind of, as it lands, it's a little crooked, you know, and you're like, could this actually be pulled off and happen? But yeah, I agree. It's, a, it's an awesome moment. I think we can all just say that was awesome. <laughs> Speaking of awesome, so Graham Yost, who wrote the screenplay, even though Joss Whedon may have come back and read some of the dialogue, Speed is his baby. Graham Yost's name is in the movie, in the credits, under screenwriter. This is the guy that wrote Broken Arrow, which we love so much. Amazing. Yes. Hard, hard Rain, not quite as good, but yeah. if you're a TV fan, Justified, great show. One of the best shows of the 2010s and the Americans, which also may be the greatest show of the 2010s. He did both of those too. So if somehow you've seen Justified and thought that was awesome and haven't seen Speed, you should watch Speed. I mean, come on. Who, watch. Are, who are you? Who are you? Yeah. If you saw Speed and you thought, man, I like this vibe, but I would like to watch a show set in Kentucky and the hills of that about a U.S. Marshal who basically just has a badge to get out his aggression by legally shooting people, watch Justified. That show's amazing. Man, that's exactly yeah. what I thought after watching Speed. <laughs> <laughs> Justified is great. Yeah.
So then, like, like I was saying earlier, like the trauma of experiencing this and surviving it, I just feel like this reiterated that the strangers cheering and hugging bonded by this experience. I was, I was thinking in, in that moment, I was like, I wonder if these people, like after they survive this whole thing, if they just like stay in touch over years, like they have the, uh, the bus survivors, like group that right. they have, like, a, they like form a Facebook group or something and stay in touch. <laughs> Speed. Yes. 25, 25 bus survivors. Yeah. <laughs> it really feels like they would. I mean, it sounds like the cast did in a way. Like these bus passengers, they worked in the industry and they would see each other here and there and be like, oh yeah, hey, you know, and like catch up. We all had that experience together. So the movie is doing that for them. And I think that makes it even more realistic. You know, it's like you're experiencing putting people in a freaking bus for weeks after weeks, you know, and then that translating to this hour and a half movie where these characters are stuck on this bus for however many hours it it works, you know, it definitely translates to the screen. Yes. You know what though? We just talked about the, the bus jumping scene and maybe suspending your, your disbelief. I always found it really easy for that team. The one part for me that it's hard for me to suspend my disbelief is Jack gets the idea that the airport is close by and they could just circle the airport and not have to worry about the freeway anymore. And when they do that, right after the jump scene and pull off to the airport, they roll over, you know, one of those tire gates with the big sharp things that bust all the tires. But then the tires yeah. make it like another half hour of the movie. And <laughs> I kept thinking like, man, they would be on rims. Like those tires would be shredded. And it does come to yeah. play later. They don't forget it happened. I don't know about you guys. I've had some tire blowouts that were really scary. So I'm just thinking this is the one part where I have to forget that happened so that I can keep enjoying the movie. Skipping to my score, I give this a 10. I think this movie's perfect. I don't give a crap that that happens. I'm fine with it. But if there's yeah. one area that I would nitpick, it's that. Yeah, yeah even the, the all the nitpicks that I could even think of for this movie, I'm just like, I give it, I give up because it's so fun. Right. So like when they get to LAX, man, first of all, I feel like this is the best possible way to end this part of the movie because it was just... You know, they, they have this open for, uh, runway to go on. It's a signature L.A. landmark. And then you just see them, you know, once they once Jack gets off the, the bus, having that having those other vehicles pull in front and having him on that little dolly going under the bus. That was just like just when you think the situation's resolved and they will right. get the passengers off. Jack tried <laughs> tries to dismantle the bomb and it's this whole new problem. And it's yeah, it's awesome. Right. I love I love this scene. I mean, it's yeah, it's like throwing back to gleaming the cube, skateboarding under the bus, Nick. But <laughs> so, well, it's extreme Keanu. Ex- oh yeah, and it's extreme. Oh yes, yes. So and and I love the fact that he goes under there to disarm the the bomb, but he ends up just causing more problems when yeah. the tires, like you said, Nick, start to fall off and uh, bump against his little skateboard dolly thing. And he stabs a screwdriver into the gas tank. So it's like, oh, one more problem, you know, which you think is going to be like a big deal. But then they kind of just pass over because they have another solution, you know, where they get the the videotape loop to psych out uh, Hopper's character. That moment when he stabs the gas tank and like holds himself up and the dolly like rolls away. uh, I feel like that's like 
his level up to like Stallone and Schwarzenegger in this in this movie where he's just yeah. like goes full superhero because he's just like holding himself up under the bus until Ortiz can reach down and grab him and his <sighs> grunting there too is just like oh like yeah, yeah he's he's definitely <laughs> leveling up that's a great way to put it and I love the moment right there when he's first going under and Jack just like looks up at Annie and she's driving she's freaking out and they make eye contact that sort of wraps up all the chemistry they've built up into this in this movie into one moment and they like they care about each other but they haven't said it yet hmm. and you just don't need any dialogue in that moment that was resonated with me too so from here we uh basically he tries to disarm the but the bomb but harry's like wait no we think we know who this guy is so <laughs> harry's gotten the idea that he's an ex-cop because of the watch that jack noticed on the bomb um, because of some other stuff that he said so they track hopper down to his residence and of course what is waiting for them but another bomb i love the look on jeff daniel's face as i guess it's like a little motion detector light goes off and you hear that buzzing and just the camera looks at daniel's face as he's just like oh shit and then <laughs> you get that awesome explosion of the house that's the quintessential like i know i'm dead Moment. Right, right. I love Keanu's freak out once Hopper calls him back and tells him that Harry's dead and he just starts to rattle like the rails of the bus and he's just like, oh, like he's just kind of at the point where he's going to give up. He even says yeah. to Annie, we're all going to die. She brings him back down. She's like, I can't do this by myself. That's another moment. And really before that, where they have to pull him from out under the bus, where it kind of unites the passengers more and gives more of that community feeling. Because even going back before to where they do the bus jump, there's a shot of all the police cars and everyone else kind of peeling off. Like the bus has to do this by itself. No one else who's not on this bus can do this with them. That enhances that kind of sense of community where they are all they have. And then, you know, when they're pulling Keanu back up, it's kind of like that scene and like, Spider-Man 2, like the Sam Raimi one, where he saves everyone on the train, but then like it basically makes him pass out, and he's about to fall to his death, and all the hands from the train come out and grab him, and they save him, where it's just like that that sense that they're all that they have. So when he starts freaking out about Jeff Daniels dying, again, the sound and the ADR work just going to keep coming back to it. Everyone else in the bus is freaking out, too. You can, you can hear everyone being distraught that Keanu is at his wits end, because they were kind of relying on him thinking this guy maybe will save us. And before that, when he left them to go under the bus, they're all like, you're coming back, right? Like, you're not going to leave us here. Yeah, he's their hero, right? He's the one they're looking to to get him out of this situation. But yeah, he has yeah. this little breakdown. I love how smart this script is, though, where we have Hopper saying multiple times, you better watch that wildcat behind the wheel. <laughs> and then Keanu realizing, oh, you went to the you know, University of Arizona, they have this little conversation where he realizes he can see us, you know, and just how, you know, we talked about Jack kind of being a meathead or you know, having that bravado, but he's a very smart person and can, has this like great intuition about him where obviously he's right about everything except for that, the crane not holding the elevator. But I mean, it's classic action hero stuff, right? Where he's just like, he can use those gut feelings and has that great intuition to figure out like what the bad guy's up to, but it doesn't ever feel hammy or like over the top either. It's just smart the way they play it. 
where he sees her sweater and realizes, okay, he's watching us. And then they put together this plan to, you know, he gets off the bus. He, uh, they find the, the crew, the news crew to use uh, a tape loop to psych out Hopper, to make him think that they're still on the bus when in fact it's just a tape loop and they're getting all the passengers off. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed like in this is that, this movie, like unlike a lot of other movies that came out in the early 90s, it holds up even with all the technology advances and things like that today. You could you could really easily make this, this movie today and not change a whole lot about it and have it still work the way it does. Jackson, you saying that just made me think about something that was on my mind a lot, especially the second time I was watching this, of what would speed be like if they made it today? And I feel like it would be awful. This, we stay we <laughs> oh, stay yeah. in the bus and for most of this, right? Like the cutaways to Jeff Daniels when he's in the police station are, are so brief. I mean, it's just like, here's what needs to happen. It's 25, 30 seconds of him at the station. You're back on the bus. Like you're always on the bus or right next to the bus. And you've got this reporter character. You have just a few cutaways to reporters just for a sense of realism. But I feel like if they made it now, like you'd barely be on the bus. I feel like they'd they'd come up with like a reporter character that would give them an excuse to not have to keep filming on the bus so much. And the reporter would maybe try to be getting footage of the bus and the police would be stopping them. And there'd be like too many characters. They'd feel like they have to add all these other characters in to take you away from the bus because you. I feel like you almost never just get something this pure and this simple in you, you don't really get many action movies anymore, period. But every movie's got to be like two and a half hours and have eight characters to distract you so that they don't have to do something as simple and as pure as this. That's not going to be like two and a half hours of streaming services uh, content. I just don't feel like this movie as a concept would be made now. In this fashion, they would just add so much extra stuff in. You're totally right. Yeah. And we're about to be off the bus pretty soon in the movie. So again, with time, they're off the bus 90 minutes into the movie. The bus has gone 90 minutes in. So Keanu is only on that bus for 50 minutes. And it's 50 minutes of amazingness. It's incredible. But again, I thought that was pretty insane that that's it 50 minutes of this movie is keanu on the bus and that's all yeah you're totally right man speaking of getting off the bus did you notice that when they do transfer the passengers over to the other side and ortiz finally reaches down and grabs alan ruck's character and like helps him up off the plank when it's fallen they like hug and it's like you think that how, how can you have character arcs for these like supporting characters that have had you know just been kind of in the periphery but you even have an arc there where these two characters who were like butting heads like 30 minutes earlier are now like embracing each other and they've like you know put their differences aside and they survive this thing together right ortiz is like a mini hero here you know because yeah. he helps pull jack up out from under the bus and then yeah he helps save alan ruck's character and you're right that's amazing what kind of stuff they do with the the smaller characters here and nick going back to your point too i totally agree and it sounds like even in 94 when they were making this or 93 when the production was happening that studio execs were questioning like would this be a success or debont's looking at the script like oh this is going to be boring if we're just on a bus the whole time but that's the pureness of this movie like you said like 
it would totally be a travesty if you made it today and you cut away to 6,000 other characters. But it so much of it, I think, depends on keeping you in the moment and keeping the momentum going. And that's happening because you're just on the bus with Jack and the characters, the passengers the whole time. So, yeah, it definitely wouldn't be the same. Yeah, since we're talking about making this today, I think that the I think that the closest thing that we have to that today is ambulance. Agreed. Because uh, I, yeah. I watched that within like a week of watching this at the New Beverly and it, the the similarities were just staggering and the way that that Michael Bay kind of kept you in that ambulance, you know, for a good chunk of the film and just kept throwing it, things at these characters and then you know, you, you, but you focused on these characters and you didn't have a ton of extra stuff outside of it was a lot like speed and what really made it work. I'm yes. sold even more. I have it checked out on Blu-ray right, right now from the library. So I'm going to go watch that like yes. as soon as possible. <laughs> I'm so glad you're finally going to see it. Cause yeah, I mean, exactly Jackson. And even at the end, whenever a lot of different things come together and like that way that like a good classic pre-Transformers Michael Bay action movie, how it would happen. Even though you have all those different things, you never really leave the ambulance for a long time. Like, you're always right there in the action, and that never happens anymore. That's why I've told Jordan, like, I want Michael Bay to just think one night, you know what, that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to go back to only making movies like this. I know that's not going to happen, but that would be (laughs) so nice. Well, yeah, because this is, I mean, it went on to make millions and millions of dollars and just be a runaway hit. But this was basically what you're like mid-level action movie from the 90s that we don't get anymore. It was a $30 million budget. Yeah. And when they started getting such positive early response to it, they bumped it from August of 94 up to June. Because they were like, oh, we got to take advantage of this because this is going to be a hit. Isn't that budget fact unreal? Yeah, because True Lies was like $100 million and it came out the same summer. That's nuts. And it feels so much bigger than that. I mean, talking about bigger, let's talk about this explosion here at the airport <laughs> where so Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock are the last ones left on the bus and how they escape on the access panel again going under the bus to like skate between the wheels on this sheet of metal and them <laughs> flying off and embracing and I don't know it's just it's insane uh, I love I love I love this moment and her dialogue about you know they kind of start to set up this little romance here where she says, you're not going to get mushy on me. And he says, well, I might. And then she gives him the whole stat about, you know, relationships, you know, form under extraordinary circumstances, don't ever last, this kind of stuff. But then you get the the bus just careening through. Somehow it makes it through the airplane hangar out the other side and then crashes into this giant airliner and then just this giant explosion, like the best explosion i've ever seen on screen it's enormous giant fireball of amazingness love it's it so this much. 40 foot missile just rolling through the airplane hangar and when it just explodes like the pyrotechnic payoff just it was incredible um i man when they when they come out of the bottom of that on the access panel and jack and annie are just sliding across the runway there's like this palpable release like you can feel it uh. in in the visual, <laughs> in the surging of Mancina's score, and the sun is shining them on, on them. And it's like, you're like, is this the end of the movie? This feels great. Right. 
I remember watching this the first time being like, okay, this is the end of the movie. Yeah. And then it keeps going. It's yeah. It's but that insane. moment, that moment for me, that's that one minute stretch. I don't see how Yandabon can ever could ever top that. It's like you said, I mean, the catharsis of it is amazing, but it's just like the 90s action movie purity of the momentum of them sliding on that board off the bus through the traffic cones. POV shot of them going through the traffic cones with the bus speeding on behind them as they come to a stop and then the bus drifts off on its own. And when it hits the plane and it explodes and that explosion is so huge, you know, everyone on the bus who was on the bus and is now on that transfer bus, they're just like blown back by the explosion, like in all, like that could have been us. And it's like the force of that explosion is like a spiritual force. Like to me, this is like the transcendent moment of this film that elevates it so high because it's like the ultimate symbol of imminent death, that explosion. It's like one of the biggest explosions in a movie that I can think of done by natural means. And then you cut from that to Bullock sobbing and you got the shot of Keanu and Bullock reacting to the explosion too. Like it all feels like they everyone in the cast was really there like 500 feet from that bus when it explodes and the way that she's just sobbing and he's comforting her and then her giving the famous relationships that start in extreme circumstances don't last line like the purity of that minute of this film watching it now after watching 28 years of a lot of crap and just you know some good things but nothing quite like this like it just made me tear up man I was tearing up for this part of the movie and the Mancina score. I saw this amazing. giant explosion and I just, I was just crying my eyes out. <laughs> Pretty much, man. No, I, I feel you. I feel you, man. You're right. It's a spiritual moment for sure. It's great. It's great. Apparently they filmed one explosion and it wasn't big enough. So they went back and filmed it blowing up again <laughs> and made it bigger. According to the, the cast article that we read and yeah, they were all there. Cause you know, the, the, the bus passengers talk about how those shots are real. That's just us watching this giant fireball and blow up, you know, this bus and this plane just blowing up and huge fire in the sky. And you can just tell it's, it's right there on their faces. They're just watching something amazing happen in front of them. What do you guys think of the subway sequence? I think it's cool that they, you know, bring it back to Pershing Square to downtown LA. It's more, you know, sort of landmarks, and and then you get Dennis Hopper showing up in uniform and as a cop, tricking yeah. Aunt Annie to go go with him. How scary is it seeing Hopper dressed up as a cop? I don't know. There's just like another level to it when he's in that <laughs> uniform. It's just a whole nother level for me. Like maybe the menace of the disguise that he can fool her for sure. But like he's he's also an ex cop, yeah. and then I know just with everything going on in the world, like you know, with the police nowadays, it's just like, oh man, Hopper as a cop, I'm scared. Yeah, all of the work that Hopper is doing, like basically from when he takes Annie down into the subway, and then in the subway station, this is all really like why you get an actor like him for this role. Yeah, because he is just he's unleashing the crazy, and then. I think the the moment that really got me the most was when he handcuffs Annie to the the subway pole inside yeah. the train, and he tells her it it isn't going to hurt. 
and you're oh, like, man. oh, this guy is off the deep end. Like he's like, when when you explode, I won't be here. You know, right? That's what's yeah. important. Yeah, that's what's important. I need <laughs> like, to explain this to you. First. Yeah. So yeah, he 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 was going off, and I don't know if you guys noticed, but like Richard Schiff from the West Wing shows up in like this super small part as the train conductor or the okay the, the driver at the front of the train and it's almost distracting to see him in such a small role i don't know if you guys know who i'm talking about yes because for me he's the guy that dies in 90s movies because he's in the lost <laughs> world a few years later where he has the cruelest death man where he just gets ripped in half by t-rexes <laughs> yeah that was a me the original jurassic like mean-spirited death yeah for sure man for sure yeah and yeah Bullock really it's so vulnerable in this whole scene because even whenever Keanu finds out, you know, Hopper's got the money, he's gone down into the sewer, everyone else is like, Wait, what do you mean he's gone down the sewer? No one's going to pick the money up yet. You know, he tricked everyone. He's too smart, like Keanu, right? Like Keanu, maybe future Keanu. Well, he's got those gut feelings, man. That yeah. intuition, that's what links the two of them. They're so intuitive. Right. Yeah. But whenever he go, Keanu gets down there and sees someone around the corner and pulls his gun out and pulls the the pop quiz hotshot line out right there, and it's not Hopper, it it's Sandra Bullock turning around so slowly with those bombs attached to her, and that's just such a sad, vulnerable image. And then it just gets amped up, like you said, when he straps her, when Hopper straps her to the subway post. And says that line to her where it's like, you don't matter. I'm so narcissistic. Like, I think it'll be reassuring for you to know that I'm going to get away just fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I like that in some of the research I was reading, Keanu Reeves, like, talked to to Yost and to, um, during the, the whole process, basically saying, I didn't want this character to be this action hero that had these things setting up just for one-liners. But at the end, he does get his one-liner. Best one-liner ever, maybe? Yeah, they're up on the train <laughs> fighting, and he's got he's going hand-to-hand with Dennis Hopper. Dennis ha- Hopper's, like, strangling him. He's like, I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than you. And then he says, Yeah, well, I'm taller. <laughs> and that's when we get the decapitation. Yes. Right. My 12-year-old watched this with me. For the first time, and he got a great kick out of the decapitation at the end. He he he's a little horror movie fan, so he really enjoyed. No, he's not that little anymore. He's almost as big as me, but he loved that moment, and I did too. Oh, it's so good, man! Yeah, where he pushes his head up because you know earlier in uh, with Keanu on top of the subway by himself, he's having kind of roll around on the roof as these uh, red lights on the ceiling of the subway come at him and that's when hopper hears him oh is that you jack and he starts firing into the ceiling but i love uh, i also love the moment where i know what you're gonna say what 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 no (laughs) how much did you love whatever he goes full hopper where it's like he is the only one in the movie and he's on an empty sound (laughs) stage where he says i'm coming for you jack and then he turns around and runs away and goes so good well before that too he's basically um pissed off at this point because he looks at you know he's like i got so much money and he looks at the bag and the purple paint just spraying out on his face which just adds like 
I don't know, another level of like creepy kind of horror esque uh, vibe to, you know, you've got Dennis Hopper first with like this great face and this great kind of villain performance. But then he's got like this splatter of purple, like kind of like purple blood splattered all My over his face. It's so good. Oh, but yes, him running away as we see uh, Sandra Bullock still handcuffed to the rails and him him yelling, I'm coming for you, Jack. It's, it's so good. There's another like moment, this like tender moment when Jack comes back down and he realizes he can't stop the train. And then he, he comes back to, to Annie and she's like, okay, it's okay. Just, you know, uncuff me and we'll go. And he's like, I don't have the key. Yeah. And there's just like the way he reads that line and he's looking at her. It's just this like moment where they're kind of like reconciling, like, okay, we're going to die together here. You know, whatever's going to happen. It's a heavy moment, man. It's a, it's like a heartbreaking moment to see just that resignation, you know, where they're just like doomed. They're just trapped. I was going to say, and they play it the way they've been the whole movie is like Jack's gut. And so like, he goes back up and he's like, okay, we're just going to jump the tracks. And so he like, I, I love how like speed is kind of what saves them in the end. Right. Right. Which is a weird thing. You're like, you think about that. You're like, I'm going to speed up this vehicle. So we will live somehow. Like, shouldn't yeah. we slow it down? But no. this is the, this is the one moment I was talking about earlier that kind of pulls me out. Just, just the fact that, Joe Morton, uh, the police chief, comes on the radio and he's like, Jack, Jack, you got to get off the train. The The track's not finished. That line about the track not being finished, I was just like, of course it is it. Like, because we didn't already see this before with the freeway not being finished. So that's yeah. like the only part that kind of pulls me out of it. Like, but it's also kind of funny, too, where you're just like, man, L.A. sucks. Like the construction <laughs> is the worst. Yeah, we were, no offense, we were Jackson. <laughs> yeah, we were very early in our uh you know public transit development right um, no it just it ends so perfectly here when they jump and when they when the train comes jumping out there uh onto the road and i think it's like on in front of hollywood Carmen, boulevard uh, yeah. yeah hollywood boulevard the chinese theater and they're in there and you have like the Hollywood tours, the starlight tours pull out in front of them. It was just like this perfect way to end it. My favorite aspects of like the action genre are all kind of like distilled into this like moment and just, it wraps it up perfectly. I love it. It does, man. It's so good. I love like the amusement park ride feel of that with his voice coming in to say that the track is out. It feels like you're about to ride a roller coaster <laughs> yes, in real exactly. life. Yeah. It's, it, it's basically three roller coasters in a movie, like right. it's three thrill yeah. rides. Yeah, it's so good, yeah. and there's just like this apocalyptic "this is it" feeling, and like the, those last five minutes, like this is truly the end. Like they're about to jump off the Empire State Building or something, and then you get right. the somber flute, which you don't really get that kind of music in any other part in the movie. So I thought that that was really amazing how you think by this point, you'd be like, all right, I'm tired of action. Well, no, we, I would never be that way, but uh, right. whoever out there who would be that way, I don't oh, think no. you get there. You're like, yeah, more, more. That's right. I love how Keanu looks at, I guess he's looking at like a map of the transit system. He's like, I'm going to speed it up. <laughs> and then he, <laughs> you see his hand just like <laughs> gently push the lever forward. <laughs> Oh, but my notes, Nick, my final notes here are they crash, they kiss, the credits roll, 
And you know I love a good credits roll over the image of destruction as the two main characters kiss, Nick. You're like, oh, yeah. That's I my favorite you. thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. I thought Jordan would be happy with this, but what did you make of all the tourists coming up to the subway cars? They're making out and smiling and pointing at them and taking pictures of them kissing and possibly even having sexual intercourse at this moment <laughs> <laughs> on the street of the oh, subway yeah. car. Well, the best line at the end, too, where he repeats the you know, extreme relationships formed under extreme circumstances don't last. And she tells him, <laughs> I guess we'll just have to base it on sex then. And it's like, you know it, like, you know, like you don't even have to see that on screen. It's just like, they're going to have some hot steamy sex. Or... I love Keanu's response when he's like, whatever you say, ma'am. <laughs> oh yes. He brings back the ma'am. That's yeah. oh, so good. It's yeah. so and good. It's, and then when the credits roll, then you get, the uh you get the billy idol song uh speed right that was part of this soundtrack that doesn't really appear in the film i i had completely forgotten that a soundtrack to this exists outside the mancina score but there is and it's like a fully fleshed out soundtrack this is the only song that appears on the film I don't remember Billy Idol still being like a huge deal in 1994. <laughs> no. It's so weird. I, I wasn't really his demographic then anyway. And I think this came, I don't know. I mean, it's like the track goes good with the film. It doesn't feel like out of place, but I feel like it was like only a couple years later that then he appears like on like the wedding singer soundtrack wedding singer, or something yeah. as kind of an eighties novelty. Right. Yeah, that's so, so weird, man. So it was just funny that it was like speed, Billy Idol. And I was like, okay. It definitely feels like he's past his prime here and they've like, like maybe they had this song in the bag or something. I don't know. It it does feel like a a weird oddity here at the end, but it still works at the same time. Yeah. If you're a Billy Idol fan, you know, it's a, it's a serviceable song. It's good, but you know. And if you're not, hey, you still get like a 90 seconds of Mark Mancina score over the credits rolling and the footage on the subway. That's like if back whenever this was the way that movies ended, you'd have the music playing over the credits of an image that the last image of the movie. But then you'd have the fate to black song where the credits kept going and you get the black background and then the song would Mm -hmm. change. And that's when it goes to Billy. So if you don't want to hear the Billy Idol, you can turn it off there, which is apparently what I always did, because I watched this movie like 90 times on my Columbia House VHS widescreen tape. I don't remember that song at all, man. <laughs> Just turn it off as soon as you heard the Billy Idol. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> you were not a fan. Man, so talking about the legacy of this film, one of the favorite anecdotes I found about it Apparently, there was an instance where a schoolboy saved the lives of a school bus full of kids when the driver had a heart attack, which is funny because uh, originally they had Sam, the bus driver in this, having a heart attack and then needing to get off the bus, but then they changed it. So, but this kid, apparently, he, as the bus driver had a heart attack, he climbed on the driver's lap and he jumped on the brake pedal and pulled the bus onto the side of the road. And when they asked him later why he did it, he told him, I'd seen that bus movie. (laughs) (laughs) And he was honored at an NFL football game, like halftime ceremony or something. (laughs) Just like, yes, this movie has saved lives. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. And I've heard over the years, you know, people have teased the possibility of a Speed 3, you know, on and off. I don't know. It's one of those things like Back to the Future where I'm like, I kind of don't want them to do it because I just 
I love the original so much, and we saw what happened with the second one. I don't Speed know. three back in time, man. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's coming. <laughs> I saw an interview with Keanu where they asked him that. They're like, "Could there be a Speed three? And uh, I think it was on at the premiere of the Matrix Resurrection. So he's like, "Well, you know, I I could never say never." I was dead in the third Matrix, and somehow I'm here. So we could somehow get a Speed 3, maybe. The so. only way that that Speed 3 works is if they bring back Keanu, they bring back Sandra, somehow she and Jason Patrick have gotten a divorce, and they end up on like a commercial airliner, and they just happen Ooh. to like be on the airliner, and they re- reconcile or something, and he wins her back in the in the the process of saving a, a plane full of people. That's exactly what I thought about, Jackson. I there we go. Like Hopper's son comes back as baby bomber <laughs> and <laughs> takes over the plane. Howard Payne Jr. That's right. I'd pay money to watch it. All right, guys. Well, it's Fallen Warrior time. So, Nick. Well, well you... wait, Jordan. Oh, no, wait. no, Jordan. What? Two things, Jordan. First of all, okay. scores. I give this a 10. Oh. Okay, dude. I give this a five. Five out of five. I'm fully <laughs> on with this movie. Even that little hiccup with the subway thing at the end. You just got to look past it sometimes and go with it. So five out of five. Freaking amazing, perfect action movie. Best act. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Best action movie in the 90s. I'm going to wow. give this a, a score that's um, on theme with the movie. And that's a 50 out of 50. Ooh, yes. Nice. Nice. Good call. Amazing, and it's the multiply multiplication result of Jordan and I scores. So I dig that. Amazing, and also Jordan. So I have a movie connection okay, for this okay. movie and leaving Las Vegas. Let's do and it. I, I'm so proud of myself for actually remembering to do that. That I want to do the movie connection real quick, and it's this. So we just covered Leaving Las Vegas, starring Nicolas Cage, and you know nothing against Leaving Las Vegas, but in that poll there were four movies. And the one that Jordan and I really wanted to cover was Red Rock West. And man, I tried to cheat that poll so bad. I was voting on like burner Twitter accounts and it just did not win. I think I think we were the only people who voted for it. But Probably. Red Rock Red Rock West, which now I still haven't seen since it didn't win. I guess I'm just going to have to go out and watch it. It stars Nicolas Cage and who else? Ooh, but Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper. Yes. So good. So good, man. So my movie connection was, okay, so one movie is super depressing. One movie is the ultimate thrill ride. (laughs) Nick Cage is definitely speeding while drunk and chugging on a bottle of vodka and leaving Las Vegas. But also, Nick Cage was in Con Air, which is similar in some ways. So you have bus movie with dangerous situation, airplane movie with dangerous situation. And of course, when they make Speed 3 on an airplane, you have even more of a connection so uh, I don't know. Let's throw this out there. Nick Cage is Jack Travern. Like, uh, what are we thinking? <laughs> Nick Cage on this bus? <laughs> they would definitely not let Nick Cage on this bus when they're like, "Don't let him on! Don't let him on!" <laughs> uh, what do you think, Jackson? You think it Nick work? Cage would be unhinged, Jack Travern? Like, I'm just trying to. Yeah, I'm going with my gut. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's oh, that man. moment where he finds out that Jeff Daniels died, but for the whole movie, basically. <laughs> oh, this jam bomb on this bus! <laughs> can Can I add a, a leaving Las Vegas connection? Yes. Shoot. 
So one of the uh, actors on the bus, uh, I believe his name is David Kriegel. Um, oh, yes. He plays the young guy who just has all these like crazy reactions like, we are way out of control. And like he's he just always <laughs> like kind of outwardly acting. Uh, he is also in Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, I think he yeah. has like a bit a bit part in that. So that's another speed leaving las vegas connection. do you know which scene is he in and leaving I, las vegas I, for, I forget which scene i just i saw it in his filmography is he in so. the end rape scene nick maybe with the pig boy <laughs> that would be my guess that he's one of pig boys friends yeah that's my guess too along with uh bob gorgian bob gorgian i just mix his name michael up. i can't gorgian. always do that michael <laughs> gorgian who plays bob heroin bob heroin SLC bob punk. and slc punk all right nice. well I've tried to just delay the inevitable, but I guess it's time to talk about Speed 2. But not for nearly as long as we just talked about Speed, because it does not deserve it. Jackson, what are your thoughts on Speed 2? Because Jordan, man, I, I hopefully you didn't watch it, right, Jordan? Please tell me you didn't watch it. I did not, because I actually won a trivia battle, and I will relish those and not make myself have extra homework for these things. So, no, I did not watch Speed 2. All right, all right. Good job, wise decision. Jackson, Speed 2. What I've come away from Speed 2 with tried to find some redeeming values in this for me i think the real speed two is the lake house which was starring keanu reeves and <laughs> yes. sandra bullock um but if we're talking about cruise control it's very hard to measure this against the original first of all it's 10 minutes longer than the original speed which it did not need to be the biggest problem with the first hour of this is so little happens like the first film has so many action set pieces within even the first hour and nothing happens in the first hour of of speed two there's a weird like ub40 cameo when they get on the the boat <laughs> mm-hmm. um there's way too many characters in the movie and to the point where you kind of for you know in in the original speed like you had a bus full of people but somehow you lived with them enough that you remembered who everyone was in the second one there's characters with like full-on dialogue that i'm like wait where was that person and yeah it was it was wild the the character of alex uh played by jason patrick so much less compelling than than jack travin so i like jason patrick a lot as jordan and i have have discussed before but it's like the the writing is so bad for this movie that I'm still not sure if he has chemistry with Sandra Bullock because the writing for their scenes and the dialogue and everything else was so bad. It was so, so badly written. Yes. Yeah. So I don't even know if they have chemistry because of how unnatural this movie is. And you're right. Like the lack of action, there's really one action beat and it's the opening one at the beginning of the film. And you know, in the opening speed, the, the first speed movie, you have the thrilling elevator scene. But in this movie, you have a scene where Jason Patrick is chasing after a diaper cream truck on a motorcycle. <laughs> like Fox is falling out of this truck and he's just dodging them on a motorcycle. It was just, it felt like, like they're like, Oh, what do we need to do to create an action scene? And it's like, it just felt like there was not as much thought put into it. Like Geiger, the character played by Willem Dafoe was a huge step down as a villain but even then 
you know, I mean, Willem Dafoe's a great actor, but they don't give him a lot to work with. There's a point at which they're on the sea dews and you can actually hear a Willem Dafoe yell, Annie, come back. You stay with me. You're my hostage. <laughs> what? And it's like, wait, what? He has one moment and only one moment where he really sets himself apart or gets the chance to set himself apart. And it's that he's got copper poisoning in this movie. If you haven't seen it, it, and if you thought like, man, what would be more exciting than a bus driving really fast through traffic? It's what would happen if a cruise ship just went a normal speed through the ocean with nothing else around. <laughs> That's what I read about uh, Keanu when they asked him, why didn't you go for the Speed 2 sequel? Like, why didn't you do Speed 2? And he's basically like, well, I didn't like the script. It didn't really vibe with me. I mean, Speed, Ocean Liner <laughs> doesn't yeah. quite work. Like, So the concept is not great. And yeah. Speed 1 is just all about the concept to begin with, right? Like, it's just a great concept for an action yeah. movie. So Defoe plays this guy who, I guess he was like the IT guy for the cruise liners, and he got copper poisoning from working on all the computers, so he has leeches that have to, like, drain the copper out of his blood, even though he's, like, slowly dying. They're keeping him alive longer, which is, like, one kind of gnarly detail, and it really never gets used, except... Really, his one standout moment for me is someone mentions his leeches late in the movie. I don't even remember who does it. But when they mention his leeches, he makes big, crazy Will Willem Dafoe eyes just for that one moment. It's And there's a <laughs> gif of it. It's a pretty famous <laughs> Willem Dafoe gif. But that's it. It's that My one My leeches. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Which, you had all that potential there with him in the cast, and you couldn't do anything with it. It's terrible, man. Does he at least, like, stick leeches on other people at some point? No, Jordan. No. 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 <laughs> no. He barely sticks them on himself. Ah, oh, come it's on. It's so bad. Missed opportunity. It is a missed opportunity, but I will give it a 2 out of 10. Because even though it is incredibly stupid that no one can get out of the way of the boat at the end of the movie, it crashes into a, a city on the island of St. Martin. It's only going, they say it's going seven knots, which is seven miles an hour. And it's a huge <laughs> boat and everyone can probably see it for hours as it's coming in toward the dock. But when it does get there, you finally get like, oh no, there's, there are people everywhere. There are people on boats everywhere. And it starts smashing into the boats. And, and ramming into things and things start exploding. You finally get that kind of action. And then when the, it hits the dock, it you get just like the ship crashing into the port climax, which is really the only reason Jan de Bont wanted to make this movie is he had a nightmare where that happened. And that's just like 90 stupid action glory for like 10 minutes, but that's it. That 10 minutes, you could watch it on YouTube and that's all you need. And that's there's even a part- That's what I'm do. Right, just watch that one part. It's like, Again, like Independence Day from a few years before, you know, with all the cities getting exploded, I feel like it, it kind of takes a page from that of just like a city getting smashed up. And then there's even like a nice little like 90s punctuation to it where there's this rich kind of turd guy in this convertible with this barking <laughs> dog and the, the boat almost hits his car. And it, it doesn't quite do it, but it hits a church bell and rings, and that's the climax, which is amazing. Like, that belongs in a better movie. How That feels like the catharsis of a much better movie. But then you get this great little beat where it does not hit the guy's convertible, and he's like, oh, phew. And then the anchor all of a sudden falls from the top of the boat and smashes its car. My car! 
And it's so great. And then the important uh, 90s trope, the dog survives. Right, the dog survives, just like Independence Day. And then Tamura Morrison, poor Tamura Morrison, who every time we talk about a bad movie, it's like Boba Fett shows up and he's there. And he has a great line where he says, it could have been worse. I'm not exactly sure how, but it it could have been worse, (laughs) which I thought was good too. And then you have this closing scene where they bring back the guy from the original in the Jaguar plumber. They bring him back. And he has a boat, and Keanu has to take his boat, which is like, oh, come on. Like, this guy's you right. You Jason Patrick? Oh, did I say Keanu? Dear God, Keanu, I'm sorry, my friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> you apologize to Keanu right <laughs> I'm now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for mentioning your name next to Speed 2. That's right. Oh, man. Yeah, so there's a not that great of a chase scene, but then there's a great explosion at the end of the chase scene where Jason Patrick is on the boat, the speedboat, and he basically throws a rotten reel hook into the plane and then reels himself into the plane, which is so stupid. And Defoe has Bullock on the plane. He punches her in the face. Willem Defoe punches Sandra Bullock in the face, and her reaction is, Oh, God! It sounds so weird. It's just oh. like the epitome of the entire movie. Come here! <laughs> That ADR in of her saying that. (laughs) Oh, no. They get out of the plane, and his plane crashes into this oil liner, which the whole point of the movie was that the the cruise ship was going to crash into this oil liner. And then Willem Dafoe is just cackling and laughing while he's sitting in the plane crash there into the oil liner. And Jason Patrick and Sandra Bullock get away in a speedboat, and then the oil liner blows up. And it's a huge, really, really awesome explosion, and it looks badass. So if you add that exploding to the scene where the boat crashes into port, that's 10 minutes out of 125 minutes, which is how long (laughs) this movie is, that are worth watching. So I'll give it a 2 out of 10 for that. What about you, Jackson? 10 out of 10? No, I, I think I think your score is appropriate, Nick. I, I for me, there's you know, there's a few little things that were redeeming. I, I do think like sort of that last last 20 minutes kind of picked it up a little bit. But, you know, the Glenn Plummer cameo was kind of funny. I do think I saw it says Toon Man on his boat also. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I'll give them points for uh, continuity. <laughs> uh, but other than that, um, yeah, not not a ton to, of redeeming values out of this. And I did remember reading that uh, Sandra Bullock actually turned it down, but then she ended up accepting it to help finance Hope Floats. So, right. Oh, wow. You know, so we get Hope Floats because of Speed 2. But 10 out yeah. of 50? <laughs> yeah, maybe 10 out of 50. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's almost unbelievable how bad it is after how good the original is. I think it's regarded generally as the worst sequel of all time, and it deserves that distinction. Best movie of all time? Worst movie of all time. I'll take it. <laughs> all right, Nick. So trivia battle time. Hold it! Pop quiz, hot shot. Let me say this. Pop quiz, hot shot. I've got a bunch of Sandra Bullock trivia questions, most <laughs> mostly centered around rom-coms. What oh, do you no. do? What oh, do you do? You <laughs> jerk. You jerk. I feel like well, we're not even having this trivia battle now because I'm pretty sure we just caved in the universe when we played the pop quiz hotshot clip in a speed episode. So uh. Continuity, man. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you the theme of my questions. You'll figure it out. Oh, okay. All right, well, to set this up, 
Jackson. When we have a guest, we can also phone that guest. So we have a phone of Jackson. Each of us, if we get stumped by one another's questions, we can reach out to you and see if you can help us out. So are you game? Oh, this is so much pressure, but yes. <laughs> All right. Nick, <laughs> this 1995 romantic comedy was directed by John Turtletob and starred Sandra Bullock as Lucy. Will that be A, Hope Floats? B, Me and the Mob? C, While You Were Sleeping? Or D, The Thing Called Love? Uh, I, I, I think it was While You Were Sleeping. You got it. it. While You Were Sleeping? Yeah, you got yes. it. Yes. I'm so glad you got it, Nick. I know you're a fan of that one, Jackson. I haven't seen it. I just had to use... If she financed Hope Floats with Speed 2, it couldn't have been that. And the other two didn't sound right. I should watch this, though, right, Jackson? It's actually one of the uh, the titles that I requested for Film Shake to cover someday. So. Ooh. It's between that or Last Action Hero, right? Yes. <laughs> On the so, polar opposite. There you go. Nice. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I've, I watched it not too long ago with my wife, and it's a definitely enjoyable rom-com. So, all right, Nick, what do you got for me? All right, here we go. For which 90s animated Disney movie did Mark Mancina co-compose the score? Was it A, Aladdin, B, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, C, Tarzan, or D, Hercules? Oh, was it Tarzan? You got it. Nice. Got ourselves a battle. All right, <laughs> it's on. Okay, bringing it out here. So, why is Sandra Bullock's character, Margaret Tate, in the movie The Proposal from 2009, why is she put into the situation of marrying Ryan Reynolds' character? So, it sounds like you'd have to have seen this movie to, to get this question. Have you seen The Proposal, Nick? I watched it with my wife. I did fall asleep. Oh, um, okay. So hopefully I didn't fall asleep during the part you're talking about. Might have a chance here. Okay. All right. So why did she get into the situation? Was it A, to win back her ex-lover? B, to assert her power over him as his boss? C, her visa has expired? Or D... Oh, it's her visa. It was her oh, visa. You got yeah, it. it was, I remember it. it. Yeah, yeah, right. Let, was let, she me, Canadian? let me ask you all the choices here, Nick. <laughs> or D, because her family doesn't believe in premarital sex. <laughs> oh, man, that should have been A. Um, yeah, I remember that. Because it, was she Canadian in that movie? Yes, and I'm scratching yeah, off another question I was going to ask you. <laughs> because Ryan right. Reynolds, that I remember thinking like, well, wait, he's Canadian. Like, this is kind of silly. Right. And I right. the only thing I remember about that movie is Betty White makes fun of Sandra Bullock for having smaller boobs than her, which I thought was really funny. And Betty um, White dancing in like a Native American like shawl and <laughs> headdress. Yeah, like that. yeah, that's pretty wild. That. Pretty wild. <laughs> oh I just realized right. I don't have a punishment movie to go with. Uh it's my <laughs> pick for next time. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't have one planned either. I, I think Jackson. we need to leave leave it up to Jackson here. Yeah, but I, I, I think it all depend on what movie you pick and reveal at the end of this. So yeah, okay. We sounds, see. sounds like a plan. Okay. All right. So this, uh, this question only has three choices. So this should be pretty easy for you. Which of the Nick Cage action holy trilogy films did Mark Mancina co-compose the score? Was it A. The Rock, B. Con Air, or C. Face Off? Hmm. 
I'm going to reach out to Jackson. Jackson, do you know this one? Um, yes. Can I give you a hint? You can give me the answer, but. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I want to give you the answer, but okay. I was going to see. Yeah, you give again. me a hint. Yeah. Just by quoting, I said, put the bunny back <laughs> in the box. Yes. Con Air. <laughs> That's yes. right. That's nice. right. It was Con Air. Thank it you, was sir. Con Air. That's right. Good, good job. Yeah. And also, so Mancina, I didn't put this in the question, but he also co composed the score for The Lion King, too. Pretty oh, crazy. Nice. That's pretty yeah. crazy. All right, man. What you got? We talked about Hope Floats earlier. Who is the director of 1998's Hope Floats, starring Sandra Bullock and Harry Connick Jr.? Was it A, Harry Connick Jr., B, Ozzie Davis, C, Julie Dash, or D, Forrest Whitaker? Ah, I'm going to use my phone of Jackson. You have any idea, Jackson? Um, Harry Connick Jr.? Is that your final answer, Nick? I'm just going to go with Jackson on this. Yeah, Harry Connick Jr., no, it was D. Forrest Whitaker. Ah, that Str- sounded right Whoa. to me. Strangely nope. enough, I was, I'm not. I'm not angry, yeah. Jackson, but my intuition oh, was telling me Forrest Whitaker. Oh, okay. But, you know, I, it was my choice to go to you, and it's on me for missing that. Oh man, I'm sorry. I let you down, Nick. It's all right. It's all right. I forgive you. <laughs> Only because uh, I don't have a punishment movie picked for Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> You're not as invested as usual. Right, I'm, not. <laughs> I'm so psyched about my pick that I don't even care. <laughs> or do you just know you're going to lose? Maybe oh, I don't it. know. I don't know. You've well, resigned I... yourself to my level. <laughs> I just don't even pick up <laughs> punishment. Yeah. If I ever get there, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself, Jordan. <laughs> All right. For which 1990s Will Smith film did Mancina compose the score? Was it A, Six Degrees of Separation, B, Men in Black, C, Bad Boys, or D, Independence Day? Uh, I'm just going to guess Independence Day. Wrong! Ah. That was David David Arnold, man. Ah. And Men in Black was Danny Elfman. It was, uh, it was Bad Boys, man. Bad, bad Boys. boys. Oh, I'm actually man, yeah. planning to rewatch the Bad Boys because I don't know if I've actually sat all the way through it and... I don't know, for some reason growing up, seeing it on TV, like I just never ne- never grabbed me, never vibed with it, but I had to give it another shot. I went to a house party at Simpson Boren's house and Rhett was there and we rented Bad Boys and Scream and The Long Kiss Goodnight and I watched all three movies three times over the course of two days. Wow. Epic. This is my last question, so yeah, if you if you get this one right, you can have it. All right. Our beloved Samantha Mathis stars in the 1993 movie The Thing Called Love with which actor? Was it A, Peter Gallagher, B, Tobey Maguire, C, River Phoenix, or D, John Cusack? Man, I know she was in a, she dated River Phoenix. Uh, For some reason, I want to say Peter Gallagher. Wrong. It was River Phoenix. Damn. <laughs> the, the battle continues. The battle continues. All right. So I got to right. get one of yours right to win, right? Yeah. I think if you get this right, you win. For which of these scary movie films was Mancina's score rejected? Was it oh, A1, B2, C3, D4, E5? Wait. W- wait, what? <laughs> so which one? One, two, three, four, or five? Yes. Uh, I don't know. Two, four. You idiot! Ah, 
<laughs> yes, I should have known that. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm out of Mancina questions too. I just have one other random yeah. question. That was my last uh Mancina question. What's Man. your last random question? Oh uh, well, wait, do you have another question? No, but your question was so <laughs> asinine, maybe if I get the next one right, I should win. Oh man, I guess so. This I don't even know what's happening anymore. Alright. <laughs> So this is a speed two question. I was originally going to ask you speed two questions, and then I uh, changed my mind. All right. All right. So who was the cinematographer for speed two? Was it Andre Bartkowiak, Janice Kaminsky, Jack in Green, or Christopher Feldman? Was it Bartkowiak? Wrong. He was the uh, amazing cinematographer of yeah. the original speed, but... Yeah, I thought he might have came back for two. Oh, he made the right choice. You know, actually, the cinematography in two, it's not bad, but it was done by Jack N. Green, which sounds like a, a fake name, but Jack N. Green, that was a... <laughs> Maybe it was Barkowiak, but that was just like his pseudonym or something. Yeah. I still got it right. <laughs> <laughs> you did not. I don't even know. Uh, I, let, uh, let's do this. Let's, let's work it out here between the three of us. So my movie, my pick... I've, I've held off on this for as long as I could, but La La Land just released the expanded soundtrack for this movie, and I I bought it. Like, I got an email when it dropped and bought it immediately. And it's the soundtrack for 1994, because we're staying there. Great year of action, maybe the greatest year of action, and maybe my favorite action movie from the 90s, Clear and Present Danger, starring Harrison Ford. I thought you would go with this, yeah. Because I knew when yes. we covered Patriot Games, you wanted to come back around to this at some point. So I did, and I yeah. I wanted to go as out of order as possible with these because you know how much '90s Tom Clancy and Harrison Ford means to me. So for sure, yes. What movie were we gonna pair with this? <laughs> oh man, because I had an idea. Right, they have. Uh... Let's watch The Sum of All Fears as the Punishment movie. That's my original idea that I'm having immediately right now. <laughs> Thought all the lead-in discussion. Hey, I'll watch it. It's got Philip Baker Hall. so I'm Maybe you'll go. like it, because yeah. I, I don't think there's a consensus that it's terrible. I just really didn't like it. Yeah, it's 6 out of 10 on IMDb, but you never know. So Yeah, it was still that period of time where it was like, man, who do we cast in this role that just had a prominent actor? Well, why don't we put Ben Affleck there? He could be Jack Ryan. He could be Batman. Put Ben Affleck in there. As long as we're not watching Pearl Harbor, I'm good. Oh, man. You're so lucky that's not a 90s movie because I would have <laughs> dashed. I got it. One of the uncles that I watched Speed with, I got in an argument with after Pearl Harbor because he thought it was a masterpiece. And I was like, Ugh. are you kidding? Is that a joke? Are you kidding with me right now? It's got close to the same score on IMDb as some of all fears. So. <laughs> We'll oh, see. Man. He said his comeback was, what do you know? You're from Point Capi Parish. And I was like, you're from Point Capi Parish. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know, old man? <laughs> that was uh, the end of the argument. So Nice. Next episode, really psyched. Clear and present danger. Just about as, to me, as 90s in action film as you can get. It has so many hallmarks. And it has an incredible score by James Horner. It's so good. Um I'm hoping I still think it's so good. I would be surprised if it doesn't hold up to me. And Jordan, I hope you like it. Also has a 6.9 on IMTV. So, wow. <laughs> oh, man. 
incredible. I think that's a sign right there of something. Yes. All right. Well, I'm excited. I, I know you've been pumping this one up for a while now, and I have not dipped more than a toe in that ocean of Jack Ryan. So I'm ready to go back. I really dug Patriot Games and the awesome boat chase at the end of that movie. You're telling me there's even more action here. So I am psyched. Right on. It's a good one. Nice. All right. Well, Jackson, thank you so much for being with us for Speed. Obviously, you we all love this movie. And it was just a great thrill ride to go through it with you. Where can people find you online? Where would you like people to reach out to you? You know, um, Twitter, that's where I'm at. You can find me at Jackson Boren. And I love being on there, talking movies with people like yourself. And, you know, this has been a, a joy. I've really enjoyed this, guys. Thank you. Yes, and great Twitter follow for everybody who's on Twitter, who loves movies as well. You're always posting some deep cuts and some cool like movie paraphernalia movie related stuff from a lot from the 90s it seems so good stuff there definitely follow them on twitter you can follow us at 90s movies pod on twitter facebook you can send us emails at filmshakepodcast at gmail.com if you have any comments or any suggestions for movies for us to cover. If you like the show and want to support us, definitely leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And we do have a Patreon where you can get bonus content. So if you go to patreon.com slash filmshake, you can sign up just three bucks a month, get bonus content every month where we have episodes. Uh, Nick and I talk about other movies beyond just the 90s. So definitely check that out. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time for more Film Shake. Take it easy.